Let's continue in our talks from Ruth by reading Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 through 18. In these verses, we have Naomi's decision to return to Israel. We also have the decisions of Naomi's two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. Orpah decided to return to Moab and the gods of Moab. But Ruth, in a great demonstration of faith, decided to come to the land of Israel and put her faith in the God of Israel. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband tonight, and should also bear sons. Would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Once again, let's consider some background notes, first of all. When Elimelech and his family left Israel and came to Moab during a time of famine, he expected that it would be only for a short time. But Elimelech died in Moab, probably a sign of God's discipline for leaving the land of promise and going to a pagan land. And then the two sons also died, leaving Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, alone in Moab without any human means of support. In verses 6 and 7, we read that Naomi and her daughters-in-law decided to move back to Israel. Naomi had heard that the years of famine were over, and once again there was bread in Israel. Notice, by the way, that it was the Lord who brought bread to Israel, not nature and not the pagan gods who supposedly controlled the fertility of the land. God provides the bread, then and today. And that is true concerning physical food as well as spiritual food. And notice that it was thus the Lord who triggered Naomi's decision to make the right decision and return to Israel. God in his sovereign grace is always the one who makes the first move to help us make right decisions. Somewhere along the road back to Judah, the three widows stopped and Naomi began to urge her daughters-in-law to return home. Naomi said, look girls, you don't have to return with me to Judah. In fact, it's crazy. There's no future for you there. I'm too old to be remarried. 
And even if I did remarry, I'm too old to bear more sons for you to marry according to the Leverite laws in Israel. Use your common sense, girls, and return home and find yourselves a husband here in Moab. You've been wonderful daughter-in-laws to me, but I can't offer you any hope of security if you stay with me. You're under no obligation. Don't be foolish. Turn back. Well, Orpah took Naomi's advice and she returned home. But Ruth would not turn back, and nothing could persuade Ruth to separate from Naomi. Verses 16 and 17 once again. Entreat me not to leave you, or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. Now before we go on to our doctrinal points, we should say something about Naomi's advice to Ruth and Orpah to return to Moab. What kind of counsel is this, anyway? Moab was a pagan country that worshipped false gods. Well, we could wish that Naomi would have counseled both Ruth and Orpah to return to the land of Israel and the God of Israel. God would have certainly taken care of Orpah as well as Ruth. But remember that Naomi is not strong in faith at this point. She's made the right decision to return to Judah, but her relationship with the Lord is not the greatest at this point. She certainly does not have the joy of the Lord. Look at what she says there in verse 13. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And then look what she says at the end of the chapter, verses 20 and 21. So she said to them, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So while we can understand why Naomi counseled Orpah and Ruth to return to Moab, after all, poor widows had no means of support in that day, and Naomi was concerned for the security of Ruth and Orpah. But still, we would say that Naomi should have advised both Ruth and Orpah to trust fully in the God of Israel. Well, so much for our background notes. Let's move now to our doctrinal points. Doctrinal point number one. The right decision may not be an easy choice. The right decision may not be an easy choice. Many times, the right decision is an easy choice. For example, next week... Margie and I will be leaving the Chicago area for a couple of weeks to be involved in a camp ministry in the beautiful state of New Hampshire. Now, to accept that invitation was not a hard choice, especially since we'll be able to see our grandchildren along the way. Seriously speaking, we believe this was the right decision, but let's face it, it was an easy choice. But not all right decisions are easy choices. Our recent move was not an easy choice but we believe that it was the right decision. The Lord has confirmed it in many ways. Now in the passage before us, we see that Ruth made the right decision, but it was not an easy choice. From Ruth's perspective, she was giving up any possibility of future marriage and family. I mean, what Jewish man would marry a poor widow who was a Moabite from the pagan land of Moab? Put yourselves in Ruth's position at that time. When she left Moab, she was leaving her security and any chance for a future, humanly speaking. And she would have the additional burden of her aging mother-in-law with no means of support. 
It was not an easy choice. But she knew it was the right decision because she was following the true and living God. Some of you may be making some important decisions right now. The right decision may not be an easy choice. It may involve sacrifice. It may involve swallowing pride. No one likes to be humbled. It may involve ethics, business ethics, or medical ethics. If we pray for the Lord's help, he promises that he will guide us. James 1 and verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But that does not mean that the decision will be easy. The right decision may not be an easy choice. Doctrinal point number two. The right decision may involve considerable change. The right decision may involve considerable change. Ruth's right decision certainly involved considerable change. She was leaving familiar surroundings and going into a totally new situation. She was going to have to adapt and adjust to significant changes. But Ruth was willing to flex because she knew it was the right decision. Adapting and adjusting to new situations is not a piece of cake, especially as you get older. But your right decision may involve considerable change. Now, there are a lot of ways that this can be applied. Let's apply it to becoming a Christian. Becoming a Christian may involve considerable change in your lifestyle. What you do with your free time will change, and it may be considerable change. What you read will change, and it may be considerable change. What you do with your money will change, and it may be considerable change. So becoming a Christian may involve considerable change in your lifestyle. And being a Christian may involve considerable change. You know, just this past weekend, I learned of two of my former students who are now married and now serving the Lord in Kazakhstan. That's one of the former Soviet republics. Now, as students, these two kids were certainly not interested in foreign missions and certainly not in leaving the good old USA themselves. But God called them, and they said yes. It has involved considerable change in their lives. But they have flexed, and they've adapted, and they've adjusted, and right now they're doing a terrific job. The right decision may involve considerable change. But what about practical application from this portion of Ruth? Practical application number one. Is your commitment more than words? Is your commitment more than words? Many times in Scripture, the faith of one biblical character is highlighted by contrasting it with the lack of faith of another biblical character. For example, Abraham's faith is highlighted because it's contrasted with Lot's lack of faith. Jacob's faith is highlighted because it's contrasted with Esau's lack of faith. Joseph's faith is highlighted because it's contrasted with Judah's lack of faith there in Genesis 37 and 38. And here in this book of Ruth, Ruth's faith is highlighted as it's contrasted with Orpah's lack of faith. Notice that both Ruth and Orpah are committed in words. They are both on their way to Judah with Naomi, verse 7. And they both affirm with statements of commitment that they will stick with their decision. Let's read verse 10 once again. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Orpah went back to Moab, 
and the gods of Moab, verse 15. But Ruth's commitment was more than words. Ruth's commitment was one of true faith in the one true God. Is your commitment more than words? You know, a lot of people say they are Christian. They go to church and make a good profession of faith, but it is only words. Is your commitment more than words? Practical application number two. Is your commitment more than emotions? Is your commitment more than emotions? Orpah not only said she was committed, but she was emotionally involved as much as Ruth was in her statement. The end of verse 9 and 10 once again. Then Naomi kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. And verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Notice, they are both emotionally committed. But Orpah turned back to Moab and the gods of Moab. Why? Because there was no true faith there. Emotions, yes, but no true faith in the God of Israel, as we see in Ruth. Is your commitment more than emotions? You know, there are many people who not only say they are Christians, but they are emotional about it. They cry during sermons. They raise their hands in prayer. They sing hymns with lots of enthusiasm. But there is no true faith in Christ as their personal Savior. Is your commitment more than emotions?